0: Let's hear it for us, Stan Lee and Chris. Now, um, my name is Matt Kennedy. I run a podcast called Pod Sequentialism. It's on the Meltdown Network. Um highly encourage you to listen to it. Um, I have a very special guest who um, I think needs no introduction. But I'm going to introduce him, anyways. Uh, this is my good friend Gerard Way.
1: Hi. How you guys doing? Sure. Hello everyone! Awesome, thanks. I love you too.
0: Thank you. <laughs> Alright, so um, so
1: who's reading comics from the young animal line? Cool. Thank you. Thanks for supporting that.
0: And um, and any um, any people who are fans of June Patrol prior.
1: Anybody who's no longer a fan of June Patrol after my version. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I think what I would want to first start talking about here is. Um, you know, clearly, Young Animal is a new imprint, and I think the idea behind it was that uh, DC had approached you and said, "Hey, we, we want we want you to put together this line of comics, and they wanted to kind of take that DC Vertigo aesthetic and mix it with the work that you were doing, which is, I think, kind of groundbreaking, and um, and bring these two things together."
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, it was many years of conversations. Uh, as a lot of people know, I started as an intern at DC Comics. I used to photocopy the pages before they would, before scanners were a big deal, and um, um, so uh, I knew all the editors a little bit. I used to drop them off their comics in shrunken down form, mm-hmm. and um, so anyway, it'd been years of talking to Shelley Bond, um, who's amazing. Yeah. And we talked about doing something at Vertigo a long time ago, so we always kind of stayed in touch. And, you know, uh, been friends with Jim Lee for a really long time as well. He's very close with my brother, and he'd been coming to shows with his wife, and, you know, that was pretty amazing. So we had this relationship, and then we, we went and did a comic convention in South America together, and we would have these dinners every night, and we just kind of kept talking about um, doing an imprint or something. The, the yeah. idea was Jim's, to do an imprint. Oh, right yeah. on.
0: And so now, um, and Shelley Bond was at DC at the time when you were interning. Yes. Yes. And, um, and I know it's hard when you're an intern, you don't necessarily meet everybody, but you did eventually have conversations with her.
1: I did. You know, she, 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 um, she's awesome. She, she doesn't remember me at all from those days, and she's very upfront about that. And one of the things I love about Shelly, she will be like, she's like, I, I don't have any recollection of you as an intern. <laughs> Um, which I thought was pretty cool. And, uh, but we would talk about music. That was always the thing. Like, you knew you could talk to Shelley about music, like David Bowie or Britpop. So, you know. Excellent. And so now, when you, when you start
0: to bring this together, did you know that you were going to pick Doom Patrol and
1: some of these other series? The imprint was almost built around... Me writing Doom Patrol. Right. I knew, you know, I knew that I had really wanted to do that. That was like a, yeah. that was like a life dream goal, you know, uh, wish list thing, bucket yeah. list thing. So uh, the imprint was really built kind of around the take that we were going to bring to Doom Patrol right. and kind of construct the imprint around that. Now, and, and clearly
0: you're really good friends with Grant Morrison. Yeah. Um, Grant Morrison has collaborated with you musically as in addition to being just... Uh, kind of good mentor in comics. Yes. And um, so it's kind of a, a series as beloved and strange as Grant Morrison's run on Doom Patrol, kind of a Dada-esque um, approach to superheroes, um, is, is difficult to replicate and probably not necessarily something you wanted to do exactly the same anyhow. Yeah. So in your take on Doom Patrol, what do you think makes it different from what came before and what were the challenges you faced in approaching writing these characters?
1: Well, you know, uh, first of all, it, it it would be impossible to replicate what Grant was doing yeah. with Richard Case, you know, so I wasn't even going to try more. You know, the thing that was important to me was to touch on <clears throat> some of those characters, though. Yeah. Because those books are still in print. Yeah. You know, more so than I think a lot of other runs, you know, besides the original run. Right. Which is fantastic. But, um, it's been so, omnibus. It's been yeah, separately it's, it's published stories. It's out there. It's in, in the stories. consciousness. So these are characters that were way ahead of their time, and uh, I felt like bringing them back. But I was totally going to do it the way I wanted to. Right. Um, I think there's an element. Uh, I think my. I think I think when I write weird comics, I think they're a little different than Grant's weird comics. Yes. I think I, first of all, his are way smarter than mine, <laughs> and I think mine are more. Um, casual slice of life a little bit like there's some love mm. and rockets to it more emotional yeah I think it's yeah. more emotional and it's more lyrical obviously yeah you know well the um, so in picking your
0: collaborators for these projects because uh, because you're you can draw
1: I, I can draw yes
0: yeah I mean you know it's I don't know if people realize that um, Gerard went to SVA School of Visual Arts I
1: did does anybody out there go to SVA you <laughs> guys do What's your major? Yeah, cartooning major. Yep. Which is how you wound up interning
0: at DC Comics.
1: That is how, yeah. I I had a writing class with Joey Cavalieri, who was the editor of Superman at the time, and uh, he got me the internship. And I basically interned under him, but I was really in the what they call the FedEx room. Yeah. We make sure all the creators get their Get their... <laughs> the, the, uh, kind of the, the, like the room. Kind of It's like the pre room. They had an intense mailroom yeah. in a lower level. Yeah. But we were like the photocopy slash... The co- you know, copy boy. Kai was the copy yeah. boy, yeah. So now
0: um, we're going to run down the titles really quickly. We're going to dig into each one of them individually. And um, we've already started with Doom Patrol, so I think um, we're going to talk about the other titles, and then we'll, we'll go back deep into each. So, um... How'd you partner with Nick for uh, for Doom Patrol?
1: That was yeah. You know, the Doom Patrol team was the first team to come together. Um, Shelly found Nick. Yeah, you know, she had known his name, I, I believe, through Mike Allred. Yeah, who's amazing, and I right. um, uh, believe that Nick was friends with Mike Allred. Mm. and she just you know the one of the one of the Shelly methods is you just. Contact somebody, even if you haven't heard for them, heard heard of them, or heard from them in like ten years, and then you just ask them to do like a a drawing. <laughs> and you know that's kind of what she does. That's um, nice. And Her office is like kind of covered with these drawings that she just gets people to. But a lot of times they just do it on their own because they they're excited. She gets right. people excited, you know. Now, does
0: any is anyone here familiar with uh, Nick Derringer's poster art? Did a lot of posters for Alamo Draft House, different rock bands, and that type of thing.
1: Yeah, Nick Darrington, he, he left comics for about 10 years. He, right. he does some stuff. I, do think, I think he did some escapist stuff as right. well. Um, and then he worked in animation, and he, he moved to Texas, and he was working there for like a decade. Yeah. So this is his first comic work in a really long time.
0: Now, the, the other titles are Cave Carson Has a Cybernetic Eye. And um, your collaborators uh, with that, or the team behind that, is um, Michael Avon-Emming. Yes, who's amazing, Mike Oming. Um Powers, um, Mice Templar, um, And you're writing that with John Rivera. I am, yes. Yeah, writing John's with John a great Rivera. guy. Yes. Full disclosure, John and I have done a movie together, maybe. We're not sure if we're in the final cut. Um, and uh, John, you may know from his Heartbreak graphic novels, and... Um, and then if we go on to um, Shade the Changing Girl. Shade the Changing Girl is uh, a product of
1: Marley Zarconi. Marley Zarconi, yeah. And we got to mention the colorists. So Nick Filardi is doing colors And Kate Carson. Yep. And Clem Robbins is doing the letters. Yes,
0: yes. And, um, and so Cecil Castellucci. Is doing shade, yes. She's writing shade. writer shade. And we've got um, Saida Tamafonte lettering and Kelly Fitzpatrick coloring. Yep, Marley Zarconi on art, yep. yep. And um, we've got Mother Panic, which is um, being written by Jody Hauser and uh, illustrated by Tommy Lee Edwards. And, um, and that's the only title that hasn't streeted yet. Yes, that comes out uh, November. Right, right. Yeah. And so um, now many of these books, Doom Patrol is a, a full We've got to mention the
1: rest of the Doom Patrol team. Yes. Because it started with Nick. And then kind of later on, we got Tamra. And right. then she started coloring... Um, after the black and white art was done for a while, we were just like, who's going to color it? And Shelly again said, what about Tamra? Wow. Bambilane? And we said, awesome, cool. And um, lettering is done by the legendary Todd Klein on that. So, Multiple Eisner Award winning letterer.
0: Um, the lettering in, in these, these comics is kind of like a who's who, the best of. Um, there's got to be probably 15 Eisner Awards between the teams of yeah, letterers. For sure. uh, Colorists, probably 10 Eisner Awards and, and other awards. Yeah. And, um, you know, Becky Cloonan doing the covers oh, yeah. for, Becky. you know, uh, the, the Shade the Changing Girl covers. And now, if you, if you list, look at that list, and we've named off um, a good eight or nine uh, comic creators, most of whom you've all heard of, there's a, a lot of women involved in this line. <laughs> Yeah, let's hear it. Um, anybody who's familiar with uh, my podcast knows that we tackle issues of diversity, and it's a, a central theme to what I talk about. And I'm, I'm happy to see that there's a line that has a lot of diverse faces and um, has a lot of women working in comics. But um, I think we've talked about this a little bit, that that wasn't necessarily the aim, that it was, you know... You know, what is it that you've said? It's you, like... know,
1: you know, the aim of Young Animal is just to make the best books we can. Exactly. You know, and that was, to me, the most important. You know, there's three uh, women leads in the Young Animal books, arguably, if you, if you count Casey Brink, you know. And that, it wasn't really by design, it's just what happened. You yeah. know, Mother Panic was always going to be a woman because yep. that's how, you know, she was conceived and things like that. And Mm -hmm. um, it was important to Shelly and I to make sure all women were on the team of Shade the Changing Girl and have that be that. But, you know, I think that people deserve to have a choice and putting that choice out there without saying, like, you have to read this because X, Y, Z. Right. Um, I I don't think we're saying to anybody that, you know, well, you are super awesome if you read the Young Animal books, (laughs) but... But we're not saying if you don't read them, you're a bad person. Right. Like, we're not... um, I don't think the books have an agenda. The books just want to be special and different and fun. And I think that was part of the goal of young animal. And that's one of the things that I think is
0: important in having comics be more diverse, is that it all has to have a great level of quality from every individual creator. And so by bringing together and giving chances to people who are incredibly talented, for them to reach a wider audience, the odds after that is established of other voices and more people of color and more uh, women writing comics coming into the business becomes a little bit of an easier transition. And, and certainly um, there is a, a very different um, percentage of comic professionals now, say, than there were 20 years ago that uh, there's a lot more women working in comics, there's a lot more people of color working in comics, and, um, and I think comics have gotten better. Yeah. No, you know, I think definitely because not. of it.
1: Yeah. You know, they're just more, you know, just, there's just a lot of options now, and they're just yeah. very different and vibrant, and, you know, new voices and, and different perspectives, you know. Mm-hmm. But with Young Animal, it came down to like who are the best people to do these books? Like, who is the specific voice that we want Shade to have, you yeah. know? And, and Cecil really fit that, you know? and Certainly, you know, um, if, if you look at,
0: at Cecil's list of credits and you're looking at um, some great young, young adult books and the Plain Jane series, um, you know, anybody read the Plain Jane series? Anyone familiar with her musical work? Uh, she was oh, in a couple right. of great bands, you that's know? Right. Um, Cecil first came out of Canada as a band member of the group Bite, and then um, they didn't record any music together but then she launched another band um, I think called Nerdy Nerd Girl. Girl Nerdy Girl yeah, yeah
1: which I just discovered we, Cecil and I were having uh, lunch and we were talking about Shade and where she wants to take it and it's, it's going some really cool places and I'm very excited about it um, but she was like oh yeah I'm a musician and then I went. She's like, I go, is it, is it on Apple Music? Can I get it? She goes, yeah. And I went and downloaded all her albums. And yeah. It's amazing. Like, I just had no idea that's, that's one of the things she did. Which is going to so. be kind of awesome. You know, you work in a project with Gerard Way, and he finds out that you had a band, and then he downloads all your music and listens to it. We talked about doing um, a Shade song together. So, because we've... Um, We've, you know you heard it here first. We've now started um, doing music, which is something I wasn't fully expecting because I like to keep the music and the comics separate, but um, I thought if I could make music that wasn't necessarily totally me and it, and it could be perceived as somebody else making the music and I could get guests and different people um, that we could make some songs that come from the world of Young Animal, like the Cave Carson song we just put out. Um, that is supposed to be a song from a documentary in the 70s or 80s about Cave Carson and his family. Mm-hmm. So with Shade, we'll have to figure out how does that come from Shade's world? Is this, is this a band that Cecil fronts that Shade listens to that she discovers? Like, right. And that's my first instinct, you know? And
0: um, who read Shade the Changing Man back in the day in the 90s? Anyone? Any fans? Now the... Um, Aside from just changing the gender of the main character in this this reboot of the series, the alien uh, consciousness enters uh, the body of a girl in a coma who's actually a bully, and so there's this kind of fear of people of this this girl who just know this girl because of how mean she is, and the uh, the alien intelligence trying to come to grips with why it's being treated this way not just because it's an alien but because this particular body has baggage and it's I think incredibly important that a story of that um of that level it's kind of heavy in some ways um comes from someone who has such great experience writing young adult novels and has tackled kind of the opposite of that in in several of her books and um A really, really interesting take of the character. Um, Full disclosure, Shade the Changing Man was my favorite series in the 1990s, and I love Shade the Changing Girl. And um, one other thing that I really love about it is that it has a backup story, and um, one of the artists who's done a backup story for for Shade the Changing Girl, one pager, is Natalia Hernandez, and it's her first published work, and she is, of course, the daughter of Gilbert Hernandez of Love and Rockets fame. So, a little second-generation love, you know? We're Fair. very,
1: very happy to have her, um, to be doing to doing that backup story with her dad. It was amazing. Because yeah. I remember doing... Uh, we did a signing at Meltdown, and I sat right next to the Hernandez family, and she was there with her mini-comics, which were amazing. She's was about 11 years old. Yeah, that's the what they said. I was like, yeah. wow, was, was she, like, 11 at the time? I think that's so, crazy. yeah. Um, you know, because Shade, the Changing Man, had had changed genders... I felt that it was comfortable for us and it didn't feel like we were breaking steel or bending steel to do it, to, right. to change the gender. It's of in the, the canon. Character. It's in the canon. Yeah. It's happened, you know. Um, Rackshade became a woman for one issue, two issues. Two issues or so. Um, and so it was like a no-brainer to say like, okay, well, let's, let's, you know, take the mythology. I mean, to me, it's in continuity with the old shade. Yes. You know, it's important that the Young Animal books were in continuity with um, the, the stuff from the 90s that we were kind of tributing, you know? Yeah.
0: So more in like a Star Wars type of continuity than say like a remake. Con- yes,
1: know, oh of yeah. It's, I don't feel like any of this stuff is a remake or a reboot right. at all. I mean, I guess a reboot is anything that you start up again, so right. maybe. But I don't know. Reboots usually when you wipe the slate though yeah. right we're not doing that you know yeah. it's more like yeah like a star wars continuity it's all connected you yeah know? it wasn't bleached and started over no it was important to us not to do
0: that now let's, let's talk about cave carson has a cybernetic eye um great series thank Have, you has everybody seen the first issue
1: yeah, yeah, yeah it's is great
0: stuff now the um what an obscure character
1: yeah he's pretty obscure this is a character that you found in an encyclopedia in Dan DiDio's office? Yeah, we're, I was in Dan Dio's office, and this is right when we decided, probably the same meeting, yeah. that I sat down and he said, well, what would you call it? And I said, Young Animal, and mm-hmm. um, we would later come to find out that Young Animal was the name of a kind of a softcore um, nudity magazine in Japan. <laughs> so we added the DCs in front of it. and right. And the, it's not published in America, so we're, right. we're, we're pretty clear on that. Trademark. But, you're, you're safe. he loved the name, and then he said, let's do it. And then he handed me this encyclopedia of DC Comics, mm-hmm. and uh, I was really excited, and I went home, and I started flipping through it, and I had just ordered all of the old Who's Who's yep. from eBay, because I knew that was going to have characters that weren't in the encyclopedia. I right. knew that. But then I came across this entry that was literally like a half an inch and it, said, it just said Cave Carson and I was like, right away, like I love the name. And then it said he was an expert geologist, a spelunker. Um, I, I don't even think he's great at hand-to-hand combat. I think, he just, I think it just says he's competent. It's hand-to-hand. like Race Bannon. Yeah, he's like yeah. Race Bannon from Johnny Quest. Johnny Quest. Totally. <clears throat> um, and, uh, and he has a cybernetic guy and I was like, I was like, why doesn't it say anything else about this? Like, yeah. how did he get the eye? And then it, it turns out nobody knows how he got the eye. We did some research, and he showed up in Resurrection Man in the 90s, reintroduced as having a cybernetic eye. But it was, it was kind of like back in the day where people were like cyborgs a lot because of Terminator. Yeah. And it was like one of those things a little bit where he had this really intense cybernetic eye. It's not like the eye in our books. It's like... Yeah. Bolted well, on like to his yeah, exactly. like head equipment type of thing. But the, the writer used this really great trick, which is to say like he put the eye on the character to show that he had had adventures in between the last time you saw him that you didn't know about. Right. And I love that storytelling device. I love that trick. Open-ended and, on both sides. Open-ended. So, yeah. so the writer never said where it came from mm-hmm. or who made it or why he has it or anything. So it gave us a lot of room to play with that. And what's it like writing with John Rivera? It's amazing. I mean, we met in a comedy writing class in, at SVA and, uh, you know, we were the only two people that made each other laugh in the whole class and nobody else laughed at our stuff. Um, John's about six feet tall. Yeah. He's about six feet guy, tall. Big guy. Incredibly yeah. jovial. Great yes, dude. Great dude. Uh, been really close friends for a long time. and. A lot of times we would sit around and just make up stories anyway. Yeah. That's what we do it over the years. I mean, we worked on TV shows together. Yeah. Uh, he wrote a film script with Mikey. So, like, wow. he's, he's kind of our, you know, sometimes he's our writing buddy. Wow. Yeah. It's like the unofficial,
0: maybe after Grant, seventh member yes. of uh, My Chemical Romance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, whenever we need applause, I'm just going to say MCR and you can share. <laughs> Well, um, now let's talk, about, um, let's talk about Mother Panic. Sure. Now, um, takes place in Gotham. Takes place in Gotham, yeah. Um, where's All White? Where's All White? Is a female vigilante a la Batman and that she's wealthy? Yes. And
1: go. Oh, let's see. Well, wow. <laughs> She makes people angry. Mm-hmm. Um, we wanted to explore fame a lot. We really did. We wanted to explore kind of what it means today, our obsession with fame, um, what it takes to make a person famous these days as opposed to what it used to take back in the day. Um, And she is somebody that just happens to be famous because um, her dad mysteriously died Mm -hmm. when she was young, Mm -hmm. and um, she has a lot of money. And that's kind of the only two reasons. She's like this polarizing figure. I mean, she's also... Famous because she says what she's thinking. She's like an orphan celebutant who's not afraid to speak her mind. Yes, basically,
0: yeah, okay. yeah. And so Jodie um who is writing the title, you may know for Faith. Yeah. Great comic, and um, she's doing. She's done adaptations of Attack on Titan, and um, Orphan Black, but she also wrote Cupcake Pow. Oh, I'm not familiar. Yeah, which is uh I think the first webcomic I ever read.
1: Oh cool. Yeah.
0: And, and and the type of thing that would show up being shared on my friend's timelines uh. on Facebook and I'm like, oh this is great.
1: Yeah, she's an amazing writer. Um, she helped create the character, she helped shape that character. Mm-hmm. Again, it a lot of the young animal stuff was just kind of like core concept stuff. Mm-hmm. And then we would sit down and start collaborating with the writers. And you know, Tommy and I were working on Mother Panic a little before Jody came on getting a look right, getting certain details right. Like, it's important to show that she was dressed like somebody in Los Angeles. It was kind of, you know, where she spends a lot of money to look like she doesn't give a shit. Right. Like, (laughs) you know, and that was important. Fred Seagulls. Yeah, because, you know, you see, uh, as represented in comics, sometimes people that are, like, famous or celebrities and they're... Mm. They, you know, they're dressed to the nines, and yeah. and we're like, no, 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 no. Vi- you know, Violet's gonna be different than that. She's gonna, she's gonna look pretty, pretty rough. And Tommy's yeah. been working in comics since
0: the '80s. He worked on the Question yeah. and a yep. lot of kind of um, commercial series.
1: Um, we had been Art wanting Center to grad, got my yeah, Art Center pin for Tommy. Yeah, Tommy and I, Tommy Lee Edwards and I had been wanting to work together for a very long time. He just reached out one day and asked me to come to North Carolina Comic Con. Mm-hmm. I had a blast. We really connected. We talked about doing stuff together. We almost did a Batman thing together. Oh, wow. But then it transformed into Mother Panic. Yeah. And then bringing Jodie in to really hone in on the character and bring out her details and help create her with us yeah. um, was amazing. So you've got this collaboration there.
0: Now, those titles that we've named off, so we've got Doom Patrol, Shade the Changing Girl, Cave Carson, Mother Panic. Is that the entirety of the Young Animal imprint as, it, as it's envisioned currently?
1: Yes. Yeah. We're going to really, we just want to put a lot of work and, and care into the four books. Right. Four monthly books is totally enough for us, you know. Yeah. Like, all I do now is write constantly. I have to go write when I leave, which is why I'm <laughs> leaving so early. Got to give
0: them a, a pad for the car ride on the way back home. <laughs> well, I have
1: to, like, write on my phone in car rides now. Or I bring a notebook, and it's really hard to write in cars, but... You get motion sickness. Yeah, yeah exactly. Same way. And then you can't read the notes, because yeah. they're, you know...
0: So... It- Young Animal, obviously, it's, it's happening, it's, it's getting a lot of great feedback, and um, it is occupying a lot of your time. What were some of the ideas that you had pitched before, or thought of, maybe I'll start working on this, that didn't happen, that you don't think will become Young Animal titles in the future or won't be incorporated? Or do you constantly recycle ideas?
1: Um, well, in terms of like, to what I brought into Young Animal... Um, Just like- prior. Prior to that? Stuff. Oh, there's a lot of stuff. I was working on a punk rock cat comic for a while that, mm-hmm. you know... But that character ended up in Doom Patrol, yeah. or is going to be in Doom Patrol. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I, yeah, sometimes I'll take ideas... And you want these ideas to be out there. Like, Mother Panic yeah. started as a creator-owned idea, where I was like, I'm going to... Basically, the idea was I'm going to take the whole Batman thing and really turn it on its head and make yeah. it hyper-violent and yeah. foul language and, you know, all kinds of stuff. And, and then I was like, eh... <laughs> Let's give her to DC. Because yeah. she could live in Gotham then. How cool is that? And know? reach ostensibly a wider audience. Yeah, reach a wider audience. Yeah. You know? And so
0: what, what's been the biggest difference between working on a creator-owned title like Umbrella Academy right. and then working for DC?
1: Um, so there's some Umbrella Academy
0: fans out there, I take it.
1: Yeah. You know, with Umbrella Academy, it's different because um, you have, like, years to write this stuff. You have a long time to... And and in my case, with Hotel Oblivion, many years to write this stuff. Um, But you're also still working on it on the bus when you're on tour. Yeah, I still work. I work on it all the time. And Mm -hmm. what's different is, like, you know, you get to... There's no audience when you start. You get to cultivate that audience. Yeah. But when you come on to something like Doom Patrol, you have, you should, I think, in my opinion, consider, as a writer, consider the people that were fans of this for a very yeah. long time. You know, yeah. um, so I think you take those considerations that you wouldn't take. You know, I, I, I don't. But now that Umbrella has an audience, I do think of the readers that love the first two. So when you showed
0: some of the work that you were working on Doom Patrol to Grant. Was it with hesitation or a combination of hesitation and pride? It was
1: weird. I was pretty bold about it, and I don't know why. <laughs> like, I was just kind of like... And these are characters that are very near and dear to Grant, and I yeah. just started like spitballing um, my takes on them. Yeah, you know? But it's funny, I have to mention, the ambulance itself was Grant's idea. So he had worked on a film script for Doom Patrol, and he told me, I think what he said to me was, yeah, they get this old ambulance and they beat it up and they spray paint it and blah, 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 blah. And then I was like, but what if the ambulance was Danny? And he would just kind of look at me. like Danny the street. Yeah, Danny yeah. the street. I was like, what if you take Danny the street, make Danny the street, Danny the ambulance? And, um, well, the second issue's out now, so everybody kind of knows that, so I think. <laughs> so. Um, but, um, you know, uh, but that was kind of like this weird jump off. And that's where you have the EMTs and things like that, just because this thing in his film script, that was just a visual detail, you know? Um, yeah.
0: Well, it's interesting, but. too, that there's the, the first part of the story has an almost kind of Powers element to it. And you've got a guy that was working on Powers working on Cave Carson. Right. And Cave Carson having a kind of cybernetic eye and that kind of weird science fiction aspect yeah. is like, well, Shade the Changing Girl is an alien. Right. But there is a kind of interesting, weird, wonderful, and um, you know, fantastic element to the different series that all have a very different voice, but all work. Yeah, you know, it's like four things that work really well together.
1: Yeah, they needed to work well together. That was important, and they needed to be extremely different from each other. That was also very important. You know, well, I think that's a really great place to end this, and I really want to thank Gerard Way for joining us. Thank you, guys, for having me
0: talking about uh young animal um you can you can hear this podcast um it will be rebroadcast as a pod sequentialism episode next sunday um i encourage you to to find us on on instagram at podseq p-o-d-s-e-q look for pod sequentialism um on facebook and uh twitter and um of course the many amazing things that gerard is doing uh you have any social media you want to shout out What's that? Do you have any social media you want to shout out? Uh, I, uh,
1: I don't use Twitter anymore. I kind of have an Instagram I kind of use. <laughs> um, I have a website, which I usually, I was supposed to update all the time with these kind of morning pages that I do, but I got real busy with the comics. So, yeah. so um, uh, But that's kind of where you can find me, I guess, those places. Perfect. Well, again, thank you, Gerard Way. Thank you, guys. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Hello. This is Matt Kennedy from Pod Sequentialism, and um, what many many of you may know that I, I do run a gallery in Los Angeles called La Luz de Jesus Gallery. And what you may not know is that it's inside Wacko, which is probably the greatest center of pop culture in the world. And it may sound like hyperbole. It's not. Um, you can, If you don't want to trust my judgment, you can listen to people like Kevin Smith, uh, James Gunn, uh, David Mack, um, all of whom will swear that uh, one of their favorite places on earth is uh, Wacko, the shop that houses La Luz Desus de Gallery. Um, whether it's blind box toys or little tchotchkes or art books, it pretty much is the place that you can get all of your christmas shopping done for every possible annoying person to buy for that you can imagine they've got everything and i highly recommend that you visit them you can visit them online at soapplant.com you can visit the gallery at laluzdejesus.com and that's spelled l-a-l-u-z-d-e-j-e-s-u-s.com check them out and tell them matt kennedy sent you